0: Hey, welcome to HBF. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're with us, and uh, it's good to have you back on our Conquering Fear sermon series. It's been a few weeks. We've had a good time, and uh, in, the, in the Word of God, talking about the need to address certain heart issues. So I'm doing an unusual thing, which is a topical series on, on, uh, on really just some things that I think have been on my heart for quite some time. I planned this early last year, and uh, it's really been fitting for the things that we're discussing. I had some great feedback Uh, This morning, before we got started, and so I'm glad that uh, God's been using these things. It's been a great couple weeks, and um, and uh, you know, if you have a Bible, by the way, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to spend our time in in primarily this morning in Judges chapter 6, but you want to you can get both of those if you want. Put a finger in one spot and uh, or a bookmark or whatever device you're using, and then uh, and uh, make sure you're in Hebrews chapter 11. And so it's been a really awesome few weeks here at HBF, and we're looking forward to the upcoming Bible conference this coming week, and there's a lot of moving parts. I know a lot of you are already heavily engaged in preparing for that, and and I appreciate that. We need to be in prayer for Pastor Bob Hall, Pastor Randy Foster, a lot of uh, planning is going on, be in prayer for Jim Boyette, also for a lot of logistics and David um, Branham and all the team of people that will be working uh, to get food together and all of those things. A few weeks ago, Pastor Bob, during, right before the Lord's Supper, preached a great sermon on heroes of the faith. How many of you remember that? In Hebrews In Hebrews chapter 11. So many of you heard that and remember that. That was a great message. And we talked about biblical heroes and how important it is um, that we have biblical heroes. And last week, we were actually, we had like a biblical hero standing here. Dr. Mike Pepper, his uh, son in law, Abdu Kanta, they both challenged us from the Word of God. Uh, to walk through open doors of opportunity, obligation, and opposition, and that was a very good, a very good message. And so, this morning, I just wanted to pick up on that theme because really it ties in nicely with where we are this morning as we talk about facing fear, conquering fear. And uh, I've actually to turned to Hebrews 11, which is uh, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Uh, many of you are familiar with that, and many accounts of many great men and women in the Word of God that are heroes, people that we should be looking to people that we should want to emulate, uh, people that should be examples of conquering fear by faith. But this morning I want to just focus on what the text says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 by way of introduction. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. Who's him? God, right? Yeah. So without faith it's impossible to please him, for he cometh to, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for, uh, for any affirmation, Lord. We, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for how the word is effectual in us. Lord, there are some who don't believe and there are some who don't diligently seek. And Lord, I could be counted uh, among those at times in my life at different places and spots. And Lord, we all come here today with skin on and we have frailties. Heavenly Father, I pray in a special way that you would set beside us the flesh, the, all the distractions, all the cares of this world, and help us focus uh, in faith this morning. Help us to uh, address this issue and face fear head on through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Word of God. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to talk about faith in the Hall of Fame of Faith, it's a great place to start uh, as we've already heard a lot in the last several weeks. We've even experienced it. We've seen it. Uh, But I want to just do a little bit of review with you as well from the last sermon, because you may have slept since last month when I preached the first part of this series. So uh, we talked about defining fear biblically, and uh, that was the first message. And our first message, after looking into some contemporary statistics regarding the incredibly high level of anxiety and fear in the hearts of many in our nation, we defined fear biblically um, in the Scripture. And we found that, uh, that in the Scripture, uh, there are several mentions of fear. So we looked at the first mention in Genesis 9, uh, 1 and 2. And in that passage, we see that the first mention of fear has to do with authority and God delegating his authority to man to govern creation, right? And so he delegated his authority. The second mention in the Bible is Genesis 15, 1, when God tells Abraham to fear not and brings assurance to him uh, of, about his own promises that he had given To Abraham, and of course, Abraham was in fear, or Jesus wouldn't have said, "Fear not." And then we saw uh, this interesting passage uh, in Malachi chapter four and verse two—the last mention of fear in the Old Testament—is actually about a blessing that comes to those who fear God. And I just, uh, Connie Martin was visiting with me this morning about that blessing of of having a reverence, a, a holy respect, and honoring of God the Father. ...and how that eclipses our fear. Well, there's a blessing in Malachi 4.2, and we saw that as well. And then we saw that uh, uh, in Revelation 19.5, talking about the servants of the Lord that fear God, they also bring the praise and there is access and adoration to the very throne room of God... Uh, ...associated with this word fear. So there's these key attributes of authority and assurance and access and uh, adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we concluded our last message, as we got to the end of that message... I talked to you about some practical application uh, that that results from New Testament fear. You know, when I first got saved, uh, I learned through actually a guy that was coaching my my uh, I was helping coach a baseball team. I was more into baseball. He was more into the Bible. And uh, and Brad Francis, God bless you if you're out there watching. Brad, uh, he we were talking one day, just kind of on a side note, just about the Word of God at, up at the ball fields, and he says, "Hey." You know, in the Old Testament, God was more about fear. In the New Testament, he's more about love. Man, that just rocked my world because I was a young Christian. I never really really put that together. Um, and, so, and that's true, by the way. Um, uh, perfect fear man. perfect love, the Bible tells us, what's it do? It casts out fear. And so Jesus' love eclipses all fear. And that's why we reverence and honor him and, 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 and we worship him. But the, but the other side of that coin is sometimes we're given to the, the mindset, especially in the Odyssey, that we should have no fear. That there's nothing to be concerned about. Well, that's absolutely not the case. Our, our minds ought to be occupied with a few things. So I gave you those last time. The first one I gave you was preach the word without fear. If you think you can just preach the word, there isn't going to be a little bit of fear and intrepidation. You do not know what you're getting into. right? So you're to preach the word without fear. right? You have to do it without the flesh. you got to do it in the spirit. you got to work out your own salvation right? with fear and trembling. Understand there's a lot at stake in walking in the spirit. You don't want to get caught. Uh, walking in the flesh i mean the lord's about to come any day now do you want to be in walking in the flesh when you hear the trumpet blow i don't uh there's a great there's a great many christians who are not going to be prepared to be caught up together with the lord in the air they don't even believe it's really going to happen it's going to catch them off guard and so uh there's also uh, the need to fear the influence of sin fear the influence of sin uh we all as christians we we walk around with sin cloaked all over our carcass uh it is in our carcass right uh, and our flesh and our flesh dwelt no good thing, Paul said, so we we walk around with the presence of sin constantly, and yet sometimes we don 't really respect uh, that, and we should definitely uh, we should definitely f- fear the influence of sin second corinthians twelve twenty and then we should fear satan 's influence on the church and the kingdom of God second corinthians eleven three so those are some just some points just as, as a way of review that we have already covered just to kind of catch us up to speed and. And uh, what happens is, as we talk about fear is a lot of times fear is based in uncertainty, and uncertainty breeds fear. So we see from the opening pages of Scripture that Satan beguiled Eve by casting doubt and uncertainty upon the character of God. I know when I first came to Heartland, that was the biggest thing that, that I would fight was just because the, 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 there was no evidence that God was going to bless anything, so I was just constantly fighting that fear of uncertainty, not knowing what was going to happen. Because, uh, you know, everything's always going wrong all the time when you're in ministry. You know, people are people and things go sideways. And, and it seems like it's mission critical and this has to happen. But, man, I'm not sure. The, I, you know how it is. I can imagine how Moses felt. And so, and so, you know, God had to just help me and say, hey, Brian, I'm good. I'm good no matter what happens. So his character is, is fixed. When you're feeling a doubt and uncertainty, man, you know, you got to know that God is good, Period. Nothing changes that. Circumstances don't change that. But the first thing the devil wants to erode in your heart and mind is understanding the character of God is good. And he wants to bring shadows of doubt and uncertainty upon, then, the promises of God's word. What God has said, then, is not valid. And, of course, God's word is always valid. It's always true. And so if something is wrong, it's never his word. It's us. And and we have to be willing and, and ready to allow God to change us. We do not change the word, which is often so vogue today. Okay, so... So here we are. Um, so Eve is, it was, it was in doubt. Satan was a liar, right? It wasn't fear was the problem. It was the fact that Satan was a liar. Uh, it was an unhealthy fear. It brought uncertainty upon her, and, and a paralyzing fear ensued. Uh, and, and Satan certainly is, and he is willing to utilize fear to paralyze God's people every chance he has. And that's why he, ca- he is called a roaring lion. But, you know, the reality is he's not a roaring lion. He's a serpent. Right? He's a fallen cherub, with all due respect, right? I don't want to mess with him, uh, he knows a lot more than I do, but the reality is, he is not a roaring lion, there's only one lion that re- we look to, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's the true lion, uh, but the, Satan's a cheap knockoff, he's a roaring lion, and he roars, uh, because he's a knockoff, he, he comes as an angel of light, right? and so there's all of these things that, that he will do to paralyze us in fear, so God has brought HBF uh, today, I mean, I'm not talking about in the future. I'm not talking about last week. Today, we're in a unique situation in ministry where our impact is at an all-time high and our ability is at an all-time low, I mean, in comparison to what God has set before us. And so that's a great place to be because that's where God wants you, to accomplish His mission and His power for His glory. And what do I mean by that? <clears throat> so uh, we just had a great challenge last week by Dr. Pepper. I, I didn't say that last <laughs> week, but I can say that this week. You'll never forget that, right? Dr. Pepper was here, and so Dr. Pepper was here, and he challenged us, right, to go and I mean, he says, "Get after it," and uh, and, he, and what a great message that was about the Church of the Open Door. All the elements of the Church of the Open Door are actually working right now at HBF. Uh, there's relative unity in the body of Christ, not relative, I mean, as far as I know. We just celebrated the Lord's Supper. I don't know anybody that's just ready to chew, chew, you know, bite someone in the neck and rip their throat out. So praise God. There's peace in the valley. There's peace in the family. Uh, God, you know, Aaron uh, in the Old Testament, God speaks of that. God loves it when the brethren dwell together in unity, and He likens it to the ointment that flows over the garment of Aaron in the Old Okay, so there's that going on. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. We remembered what the Lord did. We remembered how He gave His life. Uh, how He is the the focus of what we're all about. We remembered Him. Uh, I mean, we have, we have the Word of God. Think about Revelation chapter 3 in Philadelphia. The Word of God, an open door to the world. We're getting ready to send 25,000 uh, New Testaments. New New Testaments. First time translated out of the TR into the Chechewa language. Uh, into Actually, directly from the King James in this case, because that's, that's what they had available. Uh, in this particular rend- in, in, uh, rendition of this first Chichewa New Testament. Uh, and, and, and so it's going to be an incredible thing to, to send these out. Uh, and Heartland's laying our hands. We're the first folks to lay hands on it and get it going on. Uh, it's, it's a privilege, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? Man, and uh, we're going to need everybody that's here to be a part of that, to get that done. And we need more than the people that are here. So we have to call on other people to come and help because it's a bigger project than us. That's what I'm saying. We don't really have all the resources to do everything that we're engaging in this week, this coming week, coming up next week. But by faith, we're going to step out and we're going to do it. And we're going to trust God to get the results. Now, don't get me wrong. I think all we need is Jesus, and I think we'll get it done. Bob and I, Bob and I are very optimistic, aren't we, Bob? We're going to make it happen by God's grace. So. Um, I'm not saying Randy's not optimistic, but he is definitely a realist. So, so we're all going to work together in unity and uh, crack the whip. So God bless you. So, so these, are, these are moments that God allows, though, to see if we will respond in faith or we're going to respond in fear. Will we trust God's word, his character, his power, and his provision, or will we allow the adversary to cause us to shut down in fear and faithlessness? And it's my prayer that we progress forward as we have thus far in faithfulness, Knowing the hour in which we have been called is critical. So we're really not playing. We, we're a church that likes to talk about we want to be involved in real battles, right? We want to be real Christians. And, well, guess what? It's on. We don't have to look for a real battle. It's right here. It's here every week, and it's happening. And God is engaging us not only locally but around the world. And so we need to be very sober about that. You don't want to take that lightly, but you also don't want to be eclipsed with fear. You've got to go in this kind of a thing by faith, knowing that God is the one who's brought you to it, and he is also the one that will get you through it. So even the church age, even though we know that we read Revelation, we read the end of the story. Even though this church age may come up short, we should still not allow that to, to hinder us from believing God's word, because you know what? We're not we're not bound by that. I'm going to give you an example here in just a minute of Joshua and Caleb in Genesis nine one through two. It opens up by God delegating dominion, as I mentioned, to man, and the Bible closes in Revelation nineteen five with God's uh, servants giving him deserved adoration faithfulness in the face of fear is not about us. It's about honoring and glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we do that this morning? I and mean, can we just say, hey, man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, right? Uh, you can if you want to, but you can also choose not to, right? It's all on you. It's on me to really to, to just turn it over to God and let him have the honor and the glory. So as we talk about facing fear faithfully, we've already talked about... Uh, conquering fear by defining fear biblically. Now this morning I want to focus on conquering fear by facing fear uh, faithfully. So we, we have established that fear in itself is not unnecessarily bad. It's healthy when it draws us into God's will, provision, and blessing. But it's unhealthy fear when it causes compromise. A culture of fear is a culture of inc- that is incongruent with the New Testament of faith. Even though there's healthy attributes to fear, uh, a culture of fear is not really going to be a good atmosphere to, to foster faith. I've already quoted this, but I'm going to quote it again. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect, right? Complete love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So we, we I think we could all say there's times in our life where we're not complete in the love of God. Not that we're not positionally complete. You're absolutely complete. If you're a child of God you're complete. His love is complete, no doubt about it. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, that was enough. When he said it was finished, it was enough. So again, if there's anything that's lacking, it isn't his love for us. What is it? What's well, it's our love for him. And if you love me, you keep my commandments. And so it's, it's uniquely associated with the word of God because Romans ten seventeen says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you, do, you cannot disconnect what God says with also how God feels and how we should feel about that. Now, love we often look at as a feeling, but also love is an action, right? Jesus said it, if you love me, you keep my commandments, which when I was a baby Christian, when I first got saved, I really struggled with that concept. How could you tell, Amy, if you love me, you do what I say? I mean, that just was so hard for me to get my head around and my heart around. But the longer I was saved, the more I realized, wow, you know what? That is love, because the only thing that will save me is his word. The only safe place is in the word of God. And I have to trust his character that he's not an overbearing jerk face that just wants to manipulate and use me. But that's what the devil wants to tell you, right? you got to trust in God's character. Even when there's other things that may tell you that's not true, that's a lie from the pit of hell. So you got to face that fear head on, and you got to choose to believe God's word, bring honor and glory to God, and you know what? You'll be made perfect in love. You'll become complete in love. So in a healthy fear, what it does is it destroys our faith in God's word. It destroys our faith in God's character. It destroys our faith in God's power, and it destroys our faith in God's provision, right So those things that's what unhealthy fear does. Now there are some many, many examples in the Old Testament we could look to, and in the New Testament actually. But this morning for time's sake, I just want to pick out a, a real big one that God points out in Romans 15:4, the Bible says <clears throat> that when we don't face fear faithfully, um, we lose our opportunity to glorify God. I'm sorry, I, I just skipped over something what I was going to Romans 154 tells us to go back and look at the Old Testament exam- examples and in samples. Uh, also, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 10 does that as well. And so one of the examples I want to point to from the Old Testament before we jump into facing fear head on is just looking at an example of what it looks like when you don't do it right. Because I think we, can, we all, maybe all of us know this story. If you don't, you can catch up. But number 13 in the Bible is the number of rebellion. Uh, no, everyone knows, I mean not everyone knows that, but everyone even in the, in the world associates 13 with rebellion, right? Everybody's scared of Friday the 13th and all that stuff. So um, so when you look at Numbers chapter 13, and we're not going to go back and study that this morning. I just want to use this as an example. So I put a little chart on your notes. You can fill in the blanks. Uh, in Numbers chapter 13 in verses 1 and 2, the Word of God says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou uh, men that they may search out the land of Canaan, which I gave unto the which I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers, uh, shall ye send a man, every one a ruler among them. So what God is doing in Numbers 13 is just reiterating what he's already said. I mean, over and over again, he promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He promises Moses. He's said, look, once, once we get the worship going on here, I'm going to send you into the promised land, and this land is your land. And he literally lays it out tribe by tribe. The promise is theirs, okay? And so uh, the 12 spies are, are selected to go in, and all the, the 12 spies all had the same promise Every one of them knew that this land was given to the children of Israel and that it was everyone's opportunity to get in on it. Everybody gets in on it. Uh, There's not one of us, if you're born again, that's not getting in on what's going on in Malawi, if you're part of this church. We're all in on Malawi right now because we're all working toward that end in in a project. Whether it's Spanish, whether it's Chechewa, it doesn't matter. Uh, whether it's the jail, whether it's the, you know, helping with the life issues walk, the harvest party, right? We're all getting in on all of that. It's all ours to get in on. And so they all had the same promise. But 12 spies saw, and and the 12 spies, as they went into the land, saw the same blessings. And the Bible tells us in Numbers 13 and verse 25 that they were in the land for 40 days. So they all had 40 days. 40 days in the Bible is a a time of testing, right? Um, And so... Uh, And so they go in and the spies saw the same blessings. They had this huge fruit. They're walking around going, man, this stuff is so large. They can't believe the bounty that they find. But they also see some giants. So they saw the same blessings and they saw the same obstacles for 40 days. And when they come out, they have two different perspectives. In Numbers 13 and verse 28... After after reporting the the reality that, man, this is a bountiful place. It's just like God said. It's a land flowing with milk and honey, etc., etc. We came in the land that thou sent us, and surely it floweth with milk and honey. And this is the fruit of it. Here's the evidence of the blessing that God promised. But ten of the spies say, Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled, and every great, and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there which if we study out that, these dudes were giants. They were big big dudes. Not just a little giant, they were big giants. There was something genetically messed up with these dudes. And so they're huge. And they're like, (laughs) there's big fruit, but there's also big foes. So, right, they're going to get cold feet. Caleb picks up on this. Caleb, uh, of course, you guys know about Caleb and Joshua. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Where they see an obstacle, Caleb sees opportunity. Isn't that the difference between faithlessness and faithfulness? Man, some people see opportunity, and they're like, yes, Lord. And other people are like, whoa, it's fruitful, but... Now, God already told them there was going to be giants in the land. He already told them, don't sweat it. I got this. Caleb and Joshua were willing to believe it. And the rest of the spies, the ten others were not. Now, the negative thing about that is 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 that, that faithlessness destroyed the faithful, faithless, faithlessness destroyed the faithless. It wasn't just that, oh, well, you two go in and get the inheritance. No, it actually destroyed the faithless. Not only did it destroy them in the sense that they didn't get the inheritance, they destroyed their inheritance for sure. They did not, that, that generation, all but Caleb and Joshua, did not get to go in the promised land. So 40 days ends up becoming 40 years. And God tells Moses, I'm going to slam. I mean, God was like, I'm going to slam now. Why? Because God's like, it's time to go. I already said it's time to go. I didn't line you up to go so you could come up with doubts. I lined you up to go because it's time to go. God says, that's it. I'll tell you what, Moses, let's just, let's just wipe them out and I'll start over with you. You know what Moses does? He goes to praying. He's like, God... Don't do that. I mean, come on. Uh, That's going to be a reproach. The the Egyptians are going to mock us. The Canaanites, just just give them some grace. God's like, all right. They're still going to die, but I'll give them 40 years to thin out. So it's not so obnoxious. It's not so obvious. And that's what happened. You go read the account. God's like, all right, Moses. I'll go ahead and keep working through them. God was able, like, you know what, I'm just going to chuck them. I'm just going to, I'll just use your kids and we'll just start this whole thing over again. I mean, God can do what he wants to do, y'all. You know, ministry is a privilege, not a, it's not a burden, like, oh my gosh, I got, it. it's, it's an opportunity. It's like uh, Dr. Pepper told us last week, right? It's an opportunity. And man, there were some people missing the opportunity. There's some people this week probably will miss, it's coming up, I'm, I'm a week ahead but we're going to put 25,000 Bibles together. There's probably some people that will miss the opportunity to get in on what God has. Because right now it's time. It's the time. Not just because we're having the conference now. Because I know from everything I'm able to observe that it's God who's moving. This, this, this project with the Chichewa, for instance, is so much bigger than anything Heartland's got going on. I'm just fired up. that. But I will tell you this. God used Randy Foster, a key man at a key time and a key moment. To get this party started, there's no doubt about that. I was witness. there wasn't anybody looking around going, "Hey, the person that put God used to put the pieces together was your very own Randy Foster, because it was God moving in this church, and so praise God for that, just like what you heard last week, Brother Pepper, he a key person in our church said something about the the, the Sierra Leone project. the next thing you know I'm on the phone with him, and the ball's rolling. here we are, five thousand Bibles. Now, it's on every day, and sharing the gospel—not just sending out Bibles and all of that—but it's all it's all part of it. So, that their, their faithlessness destroyed the faithless, the faithless. The ten spies' faithlessness ended up stirring up the whole the whole congregation, except for Caleb and Joshua, and the then the entire congregation become faithless. I tell you, when you're in a leadership position, dads, it's important that you're faithful. You can't afford to be faithless because it will affect your family. You're in a ministry head position in a local church. You need to be faithful because your faithlessness can affect the whole congregation. Faithfulness, it's so important. It's so important in leadership. Okay, so Numbers chapter 14 and verse 38. But Joshua the son of Nun and and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of of the men that went to search the land, they, they still lived. Or they live still. So there's grace. Faithlessness delayed the faithful though. They had to wait 40 years to do what they were ready to do 40 years prior. Because the faithlessness, those that were faithless, ended up delaying the faithful. So you know what? Yeah, God will take, there's a a silver lining there. Joshua and Caleb got to go in. We still know about them. God records the record. But man, let's not allow our faithlessness to slow down. The process that God's trying to accomplish. If you heard, last, I'm still fired up about last week's message. I mean, brother, God used Brother Pepper to speak to us. And he know what he said? Go. Go. Unleash yourself right here where you are and around the world. Go. And I took that to heart. I'm like, that's right. Well, the budget's not big enough. The people aren't enough. We don't have enough people here. We don't have, we don't have enough people. We don't have enough people to take care of our lambs. Well, or we don't have enough people doing that right now. We need, we need more people in the lambs because of COVID and all that. It's a, it's a weak time because of COVID and because of the culture and all that. There's a lot of things that have just kind of messed things up. But at the end of the day, that doesn't mean anything. God's still moving in a mighty way. And so praise God. Uh, we got faithful men and women plugging in. So I put a couple other things at the end of your chart. Numbers 14, 40 through 45. Many were destroyed in rebellious battle. So then they go, oh, well, we, we messed up. So now let's go to war. <laughs> and Moses says, don't do that. It's too late. The, the windows close. The doors shut. And, of course, they go up, and they get their tails kicked, and more of them die. And, uh, and of course, the entire congregation was destroyed within that 40 years, as God wanted and uh, told Moses he would do. So the consequences of faithlessness are much harder to bear in time and eternity than the temporary discomfort of faithfulness. Okay, the consequences of faithlessness are, are much harder to bear in, in time and eternity than the temporary discomforts of faithfulness. Now, being faithful is not always comfortable. And that's really where I want to wrap up this morning. Being faithful it's not always comfortable. In Romans 8, Paul said this, For I reckon, right, I'm doing the math, I'm reckoning, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory which uh, shall be revealed in us. So Paul did the math. He's like, you know what, being faithful causes me to be discomfort, comforted. I'm uncomfortable, like when I'm floating around in the deep, when I'm getting, you know, uh, 30 lashes, save one. Uh, you know, when I got all the cares of this and that coming upon me. It's very uncomfortable. Paul I mean you watch, we watch these movies and we like seeing these dudes you know it's impossible right these guys that go for you know at least 30 40 minutes of one action scene getting their ribs get broke they fall 20 stories they get back up you know it just doesn't work that way in real life right you'd have to call the ambulance but you know when you look at Paul's track record you're like man he's almost like an action hero I mean he gets left for dead he pops back up goes back into town and starts preaching I mean he's amazing that was the good hand of God upon his life and so, and so Paul was a, was a man that was faithful. He was a man that was faithful. And he says, you know what, I reckon, because he was from the South, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. I mean, whatever you go up against, if you put it up against eternity, if you've got a grip on where you're headed, if you're born again this morning, it doesn't even compare. And so Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith... It's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Paul believed in his reward so much, that he's like, you know what? The temporary discomfort of faithful, faithlessness or faithfulness, I'm sorry, faithfulness, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. And the discomfort in time and eternity of faithlessness, man, let's not even go there. So, conquering fear, we defined it biblically. We're facing it uh, faithfully by God's grace. So, I told you to have a finger in Judges. I'm going to launch into Judges. I'm not going to, I don't know how far I'm going in this today, but I'm going to go as far as I can. So, Judges chapter 6. As you're turning there, we live in a time like Judges. Judges Judges was a time where Israel, they had all the promises, all the blessings. We know that Joshua and Caleb eventually did go in the promised land. The children that, the, the, uh, uh, that generation that was lost in the wilderness thought would die because they would get eaten up by these giants, ends up becoming the people who actually face off with the giants and defeat them. And they inherit this incredible land. And before they even, uh, before, you know, the, the gunpowder's dry, uh, uh, before the gu- the smoke settles, that's what I'm trying to say, the gunpowder was dry because that's why they won. But anyway, before the smoke settles, there's already some apathy, and, you know, we got to set up the government. And, and Joshua's already like, hey, guys, we need to get the government set up. We need to get those. We need to get those cities of refuge set up. We've got to get this thing. We got to get the structure going, because people were kind of loving. They got these new digs. They got their inheritance. It's kind of like when you get saved. It's like, man, this is awesome. And it's like, uh, Joshua's like, hey, that's not That's not enough. God told us to set up cities of refuge. God told us to to start spreading out. God told us that we're going to have to keep fighting more enemies because it's not just for our generation. It's for the generations to come. Come on, guys. Let's let's stay in the battle. Let's stay focused. And as he ends the book of Joshua, he's like, hey, man, you know what? You do what you want to do, but for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord because apathy was already setting in. You know, sometimes when you get everything you want, it's the worst thing in the world, isn't it? And sometimes God has to start pulling stuff away to remind you that, you know what, your fruitfulness fruitfulness is causing you to be faithless. And he starts pulling things away from the children of Israel. And the enemies that they had defeated start to re-encroach upon them. The next thing you know, they're in oppression. And so their opportunity, not that it only shut, it ends up becoming oppression. And that's where we are in the book of Judges. There's no king in Israel. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. God's people individually and corporately or together were not functioning as God had intended and promised. And the promised land became a broken land of promises, right? It became broken promises instead of a promised land. It was a time of fear. It was a time of faithlessness. Man, I I know a lot of people, they get into marriage and they got all these ideas. And then after a few years of marriage, they're like, man, this is a broken promise. I had all these hopes and now my hopes are dashed. Well maybe it's time to get back to God's promises. Maybe God's allowing some things to wane so that you can go back to the things that really really pull it together and make it happen. Maybe the fruitfulness, you know, caused some faithlessness. And we got focused on the wrong things instead of the right one. And so so God was looking for somebody who would face fear faithfully. That would go to that uh, that that would uh, he wanted someone that would stand up and believe God's word And this morning I pray that that would be like that would be us if There's going to be people that are going to stand up and, and believe God's word. Would it be us? Would it be us? Do we we say we believe God's word? Okay, great. Do we really do it? Do we live it out like that every day? I know there's days I fail but I'm, I'm so encouraged right now that, you know what, there's not a better time in this country's history right now to be a Christian and to actually stand for Jesus Christ. Not, I'm not saying stand for the, I love the Constitution, die for the Constitution too, but you know what, stand for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the primary thing. Because that's the real solution. Not politics, not all that other stuff going on. What The, the real solution is what brought the original solution. Jesus Christ, he is this only solution. You know, Hitler had his solution. It was wrong. There's only one solution. The final solution isn't Hitler's plan. It's the plan of of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a plan of salvation. It's God's plan for the ages. So let's be fearless and have fearless faith. Like Joshua and Caleb, God needed a man who would not go along to get along and would stand in the gap and make a difference for Christ's sake. So the first point of study I want you to see this morning, if you're still on an outline there on the next page, is fearless faith is personal. You know what? You can't live off of my faith any more than I can live off of your faith. But I tell you, it's pretty awesome to read about guys that are faithful, isn't it? I get a big kick out of the heroes that Bob preached out out of them. They do stir us up, but it's got to be personal. It's got to stir us in our heart, and our faithlessness is, is personal to God. If you're faithful, it's personal to God, and if you're faithless, it's personal to God. In in Judges chapter 6, and verse 1, the Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian Midian seven years. You know who delivered them into the hand of the Midianites? It was God. God allowed it. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them uh, dens, which are in the, the mountains and caves and strongholds. Do you know that there was a time when they rolled into walled cities and took over? Now they're hid, hiding in dens and caves in the woods. So it was that when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them and they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. They destroyed their crops till they, till they came unto Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for a multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. They came with a purpose, and that was to, to take what was Israel's and, and to utilize it. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to destroy it. That was the purpose in verse 6. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried... Now notice at the end of verse 6, this is the important aspect here. They cried unto the Lord. They yelled out to God. They cried out to God. They they begged God. God, help us. So our faithfulness is personal to God, and He cares about our carnality. Our faithlessness is personal to God, and He cares about our carnality. When we drift away from God and the place we ought to be with Him, He cares. He's not some God sitting up there going, Well, there went Brian. He's walking in the flesh again. Tough luck for him. I'm not going to give him an inheritance. He's saved, but yet so as by fire. That's not his attitude. He's, he's wishing more than you are that you'd be walking with him. Because he sees your potential. He knows what he can do in your life. He wants to use you beyond what you ask and even think. God expects his people to live by faith. God cares about his children even when they live in rebellion. In Romans 1.17, the Bible says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. He expects his children to live by, what is it? Faith. That's what conquers fear. That's what conquers the Midianites. So this is why even after suffering 43 years of harsh suffering, God once again allowed Israel to suffer at the hands of the Midianites. It already had 43 years of oppression and suffering. And and rebellion and disobedience. And God, once again, it says at the beginning of that chapter, says, you know what? I'm going to let them go through this again because they have not yet learned the lesson. A lot of times we blame God for our problems and we never really go, wow, God, maybe it's me. Maybe there's something you're trying to show me. I need to change. In Exodus uh, 4, verse 22, God said, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son. My firstborn. You see, he saw the nation of Israel corporately as a son. The Bible tells us in first John chapter three, if you're born again, he sees you individually as a son. He doesn't call the church a son. We're his bride. He calls you and I individually a son. And when we're not walking with him, you know what it affects his plan, because he wants to give, he wants to work through his children to accomplish his mission and his power. So once and again, once again, Israel was chastened not Forsaken for seven years by God at the hand of many, and they were chastened. And there's a big difference. Oftentimes when when we're facing chastening, we believe that lie that, oh man, God has abandoned me. Especially if you've been abandoned by other people in your life. But God does not abandon you. He will chasten you. He will allow you to reap what you've sown. But he's not going to abandon you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. If you're born again, he's right there with you. So once again, Israel was chastened, not for, <clears throat> not forsaken, for seven years by God at the hand of Midian. And we know from Hebrews 12 and verse 5 that God will chasten his children, right? He says, And he, have you forgotten the exhortation with speaketh, with, with which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? When God chastens us, it's off it often feels like we've been forsaken. But you know what? When you, how many of you ever felt like that? Like God's forsaken you, if you'll be honest? I have. But you know really what that is? If you can process it biblically, is that, that that you've forsaken him. That's how he feels. So when you feel that 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 abandonment thing and you feel like, man, God's forsaken this thing. You know what? That's just him saying, no, you've forsaken me. Be still. Know that I'm God. Get back in the Word of God. You can't have faith without God's Word. You've got to get back to the source. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word. Oh, it's not just enough to have the Word of God. You've got to do the Word of God. What is the next right thing God's called you to do? Because if you if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You know what? You start You start getting back to the basics, getting to the Word of God, and obedience to what it says, you know what? You'll start to see... blessing upon your life again it may not be that doesn't mean you won't have results from chastisement and there won't be residue but i'm saying you'll be at peace because you'll know that you're in a right relationship with god and that is the most important thing the most important thing in your life should be a right relationship with god and the most fearful thing in your life if you don't know jesus as lord and savior should be thinking about taking your last breath and not ever knowing jesus christ as lord and savior not having a right relationship with god that is that is that is scary because God has done everything in his power to provide us a way to escape through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross in our place. He hung there on the cross, suffering in our stead. He died and rose again the third day according to the scripture so that we could be born again. And when we're born again, we become his child so he can bestow his blessings upon us. And you know, as with a child, he's super gracious when we're young, but some of us know better. Some of us have grown. We've been weaned. We're no longer taken in the milk. We're taken in the meat. And and the consequences grow. The more, the more you know of God's word, the, the more responsible you become. And by this time in Israel's life, they were really responsible. They had already inherited the land. They had already knew what they were supposed to do. They just weren't willing to do it. He assures us that he will never leave us or forsake us in Hebrews 13.5. And as followers of Christ who desire to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God, we're assured that no matter what our circumstances... He's always with us, even till the end. That's his promise to us. So if anyone's ever walked away from God, it's not him walking away from you. It's us walking away from him. And that, caused chastise, that causes chastisement. That in itself is a chastisement we bring upon ourselves. So chastising is what the children of Israel were experiencing in Judges 6, 2 through 6. Every year at harvest time, for seven years, the children of Israel would plant their crops and at harvest time, And the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people from the east would sweep in across the entire valley all the way to Gaza and pillage the crops, leaving the Israelites to starve. And that's why they had caves to store their food in and to try to keep something to survive on. They were in survival mode. I've met Christians that say, you know, Brian, I'm just faking it till I make it. I'm like, man, that's your problem. God doesn't need us to fake nothing. He needs us to be real, transparent with Him. He's already made it. What we, we need is His grace. So God responded when the children of Israel cried out in repentance. Once He saw a change of heart, and He knew they were serious, man, he, this isn't the first time He did that. That's how Moses got involved in their life to begin with. In Egypt, when they were oppressed, they cried out to the Lord, and God brought them a deliverer. That deliverer was Moses, the man drawn from the water, he comes and brings them the, the, the law and the, the commandments and gets them to the precipice of being able to enter the promised land. God responded when the children of Israel cried out in repentance. God allowed their their meat to be destroyed until they produced the fruit of repentance. In Matthew 3 8, the Bible says, Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. If we're a child of God, we need to be able to we're not able, I'm sorry, if we're a child of God, we are not going to be able to sin successfully. If you're a child of God, you just can't get it's not like when you were lost and just dead in trespass and trespassing sins. Once you're a child of God, you cannot sin successfully. There's going to be consequences in your life. There's going to be faithlessness. There's going to be fear. There's going to be all kinds of things that eclipse you, and you're going to feel like the nation of Israel in bondage. You're going to feel like you're, there's holes in your pockets, and, and you're going to feel like you're under oppression and all those things. And there's many Christians today feeling that way. And then there's a lot of other Christians that are like, you know what, pooey on everything, I'm following Jesus, I'm free. And then you're going to get criticized as well for not caring, not being sensitive, blah, blah, blah. But who cares? It's better to please God than to please men. It's better to please God than to please yourself. And it puts you in a place of blessing. Now, this is certainly not popular preaching today. <laughs> it's the opposite of a, what is it, name claimant type of gospel. So God is good to us. And, and here, are, here are people that he wants to hear from. Even this morning, maybe in this room. He wants to hear from the rebellious. That's right. He is waiting for the rebel to call, right? Not Billy Idol. He's waiting for, well, maybe Billy Idol. He's waiting for somebody. You guys aren't even old enough to know that. So he's he's looking for the rebellious. He's waiting for the rebel to call out to him like Moses, who ran to the wilderness thinking that he would never be used of God or the prodigal son who wasted his inheritance. God is calling out to all his sheep. Who have strayed, those with a contrite and broken heart. You know what? The Bible says He's right there. Now, if you've hardened your heart in rebellion and, you don't, and you're not contrite, don't expect, don't expect anything from God. But I tell you what, if you're to that point, you've been rebellious and you've ran, and you're finally at that point where you know what? You're sincere as a heart attack, you're, you're serious. Bad analogy. But your heart's contrite. Maybe it's a good analogy. Your heart's broken. No matter how far you've been, God is right there. He's willing to redeem you, and he's well able to. The Bible says his hand's not short, that it cannot save. He can go right on out the church door, right on down the street, right into the darkest corners of this culture, and by God's grace through the Spirit of God, save anybody who's willing to call upon his name. Because that's the God we serve. He's a Savior with a capital S. He's the Savior. He's also he's willing to reach out to the, the, the underground and the oppressed, those who are a secret agent Christian, those who, like the believers in China, Myanmar, North Korea, Belarus, or uh, many of the Muslim states, they can't even openly talk of Christ. They can't openly follow Christ. You know where God's working. He's working right there this morning. People that are watching what we're talking about that don't have the same liberty that we do, they, they rejoice in the liberty that they see here at HBF. Man, I tell you what, God is man, God's working in their churches. We learn a lot from them. The impoverished. The Bible says in Hosea 4 6 that, that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. God wants to hear from those who are impoverished physically and spiritually. People that have maybe been going to church, but they're starving to death because the Bible's not actually seriously preached. It's the Bible's not the main thing, it's something else. It's entertainment, it's how we feel about things. What does the Bible say? Let that guide your faith and your feeling. And then repent. Man, God wants to hear from those that repent. God not only wants to hear from the repentant, man, he responds to those who turn from sin to him. If you're oppressed, God just is, is waiting for you to cry out to him in repentance. So God calls all by his word to face fear in faith. And that's what happens in this in this text in Judges chapter 6. It says, and it came to pass in verse 7, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all the oppress- that oppressed you and draved them out before you and gave you their land. I have already done what you're asking once. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Notice what he says here in verse 10. Remember what I've done. And fear not the gods of the Amorites in whose hand, land you dwell. But ye have not obeyed my voice. You haven't obeyed my voice. So God calls all by his word to face fear in faith. God sends a no-name prophet that repeats the same things that the angel of the Lord said in Judges 6, 1-4. And the answer is, Uh, to our prayers is not our circumstances, but the word of God. He says, I've already done this once, so let's be clear about why we're here. Now, what I need you to do is take heed to the word of God by faith. Change your circumstances by believing what I've already said. And this was the case of Gideon and Israel. The word of God does several things. Number one, it reminds us of what God has planned for us. The Bible is where we begin. If we're going to face fear with faith, we've got to start with the Word of God. It reminds us that God, what God has planned for us. He's like, guys, you've already, I'm well able to overcome this. Remember what Caleb said? I've already done this once. The problem's not on my end. If we were not hearing the Word from God, we'll be pinned down by our circumstances. But God brought a Word and they heard it. What's he saying? Just live by faith. Don't be afraid. Choose not to fear. The problem was they were fearing the wrong thing, weren't they? Does it trouble you if you're not obeying God's word? And don't, I don't need to know. This isn't about me. I'm just asking you in your heart of hearts. Can you know what God says and just willingly do what you want to do? Man, I'm telling you, you're wandering into the the fields of faithlessness. Oppression is coming. Churches are full of people that come on Sunday and they go out and do whatever they want to do. And it's not about keeping a set of rules and regulations. It's about knowing him and the power of his resurrection. Right? We we're not under that. You don't have, it's not about the is your dress the right length, is you know, this, that, and the other an outward set of standards of holiness. But it is the hidden man of the heart. It is a priority of Jesus Christ above all else. So when you when you when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're when you're moving about this life, he is the first thought, not the last thought. He's not the second or third thought. It is, what does Jesus want with my life? Why am I here? Why am I engaged? Now, of course, we grow in that. I'm going to talk about that next week because I can see I'm not going to get through it today. But we do need to live by faith. When I was a, a young man ministering at City Union Mission, there were young, or not young, there were all kinds of different men, vagrant men and what have you, that would come in and come out. You know what I always tell the guys? They would get, they'd be at various stages in their, in their walk with the Lord. Some of them obviously needed to get saved, so I, if that's what it was, I'd meet them back at the gospel. But a lot of those guys, they would get saved, they'd get on the program, they'd even start coming to our church, and they would grow for a while, and then they would allow sin to creep back in. A little bit of plenty would end up distracting them. Next thing you know, they're right back to where they were. And when they came back, the, the pattern was actually always to start them over, which was wise at the mission because they had to prove all things and hold fast to that, which is good, and they got a big group of people they're always trying to process. So a lot of that was just functional. But when it came to spiritual things, I never did that. If I, if I was personally tracking with them and knew their situation. If they were on lesson four of discipleship and they'd already been scripturally baptized, I didn't say go back and get rebaptized. I just picked them right back up at lesson four and said, hey, let's talk about where we went wrong here with the Holy Spirit of God. That's where we left. Let's get back in track. You know, God will pick you up where you left off. You know, wherever it was, man, come back to the place of blessing. And God will get you back in tra- on, on track. He'll get you where you need to go. He wants to get Israel. He wants to establish them. He wants them to be free of the Midianites more than they do. He knows where they're at. And he just needs them to come back and pick up where they left off. You'll be amazed how fast he can restore the things that have been lost. If you re- By two chapters, man, they're back in business. Forty more years apiece. Everything's restored. Because they would believe God's word. They came back to the source of blessing. They came back to the personal blessing. You know, it reminds me that God's good intentions for us and his plans for us are to be successful. Not as the world necessarily sees. It, it doesn't mean you're going to have a mansion. It doesn't mean you're going to have all this wealth. It's, it's, not, it's not a prosperity type of gospel. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about peace with God and fruit in the lives of other people. An ability to make disciples that make disciples. An ability to advance the mission of God. An ability to actually comprehend the word of God and, and, and actually reinvest the word of God in the souls of other people. Those are the richest things that God uh, gives us and the things that he restores in our lives. Those are the precious things. And all the other things come uh, as well because God's gracious to us. And it reminds us not to fear the gods of this world. It calls us to obey the voice of God and to walk in the Spirit instead of fearing and being in faithlessness. So when we come back next week, I want to talk about how fearless faith is worshipful. But today I just want to park it here on fearless faith being personal, being personal, because it is personal. It's not enough for for, uh, Gideon to have faith. It's not enough for the the heroes of Hebrews 11 to have faith. It's not enough for Mike Pepper to have faith or his son-in-law, Abdul. It's not enough for me to have faith. God needs you to have faith because we don't know who in this room God is calling. We don't know who God wants to use beyond what we could ask or even think. Maybe this morning, I know God's how God works. He's always calling. Maybe he's calling you to salvation this morning. Maybe he's calling you to sanctification. Maybe he's stirring someone up this week, and you know what? God is working in your life. You know that there's things you've got to get in order, and you've got to believe God's word, and you've got to do it. What is, the, what is the? Don't worry about all the things. What's the next thing you're supposed to do? What is the thing you're supposed to put away? What is the thing you're supposed to pick up? What is the thing that God is calling you to do today from his word? Man, that's what we need to be focused on. And when we're faithful with that, you know what? He'll give you the next thing. And when you focus on that, it's amazing how all the other things of this world, whatever network news you want to watch, whatever uh, messages that come across your inbox or your text messages, all the things that strike fear in your heart start to fade away because you're focused on the things that God wants you to focus on. And so, don't allow fear to eclipse your faith. Fears, man, I tell you what—it's a good thing if you're fearing being out of fellowship with God. That's a great thing to fear. Get back in fellowship with God. But even that, God says, hey, don't be—you know—don't be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. God's not—maybe you have a misunderstanding of God the Father. Get in the Bible and learn how much He loves you. Learn how gracious He is. Learn how He wants you to succeed. Some of y'all, you're messed up because you don't really know the Father you got an image of him. He's like your bad dad who used to smack you around or over, or beat you and abuse you or or didn't give you the love that you needed and all of that. I tell you what, God the Father is a perfect father. If he's allowing chastening in your life, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he wants to abuse you. It's not because he wants to abandon you at all. It's quite the opposite. It's because you've probably been abusing him. You've probably been abandoning him, and you probably have walked away from him. The moment you really get serious in your heart and you turn to him, I tell you what, he's going to be right there because he loves you. You're not going to meet a more loving and gracious father than my father in heaven. Man, he is so good. Let me tell you how good he is. That when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, before we even had a thought of him, before we even knew we were sinners, he had already paved the way. He had already paid the price. He had already made a way to escape because he loves us that much and God loves us. Do you love him? If you love him, you'll keep his commandments. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you